the mercy seat, the lid. That's all it was, a lid. Also made of shittim wood, but overlaid with gold. And some perceive that the um, worksmith, the goldsmith, would have to take that gold, lay it upon the table, and then create from the same beaten work two cherubim, two angels, facing inward, looking downward upon the lid, upon that mercy seat. And so once per year, Aaron the high priest entered through the veil as the representative of all Israel to apply the blood upon the mercy seat and to make atonement. This was Yom Kippur. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Holliher. I really appreciate you taking the time to join with us here on our program today as we return to the tabernacle, the various items of furniture today, to the various holy, very holiest of all, to the Ark of the Covenant. The Lord said to Moses, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And the very first item that was made was this Ark of the Covenant, overlaid with gold, and the two angels or cherubims shining, facing down upon the ark. What a marvelous, marvelous picture of the presence of the Lord in the midst of his people and always dealing with us according to mercy. This, of course, is the gospel, the good news that the God of heaven comes to dwell with his people on the terms of mercy. And in this, of course, we have Calvary, we have the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is a great mystery, that God should dwell with his people here on earth. But of course, we need to worship God according to pattern. And that's one of the great lessons of the Ark of the Covenant, and indeed the whole tabernacle that God designed and gave that design to Moses, that God must be worshipped according to pattern. Stay tuned with us as we speak today on the mercy seat. Today we come to what is really the most sacred central of all the pieces of this tabernacle furniture that we've been looking at. It is the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur is known by many, especially those who are news addicts, as that day when the six-day Israeli war began uh, in 1973. And that was... No, sorry, I got that mixed. I've been trying to avoid this one, and I fell right into the trap. The six-day Israeli war was 1967. Uh, the 1973 one was the prolonged struggle. It took much longer uh, to resist the enemies. Uh, the nation of Assyria uh, and e Egypt uh, attacked Israel. And on this time in 1973, the attack took place right on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It's the day, of course, of national holiday. It's the day of religious holiday, one of the holiest days in the calendar of Israel, when most people would be off work, many would be attending their synagogues, and it was on that day 
through a whole series of subterfuge methods in secret planning that the enemies of Israel invaded at dawn and took the whole military and the whole nation off guard. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now the basis for this, of course, is back here in this tabernacle and God's instructions to Moses that they should have the high priest go into the Holy of Holies one day per year on this tenth day of Tizra, which is the day of atonement. And it was on that day that Aaron, he took off his regular clothes and cast them aside, and he put on his holy garments, the garments of the high priest. And then he took the incense from off the altar of incense that we looked at, and he carried that through the veal with the blood of a bullock and of a ram, and he entered into the place of the Shekinah glory, and there he placed the blood upon the mercy seat, which was upon the Ark of the Covenant. Now, that central item of worship of the tabernacle is described for us here as two and a half cubits by one and a half. It was an oblong piece by one and a half cubits high, and it was made of the same two materials as the other items of furniture, the shittim wood overlaid with gold. Now, inside that Ark of the Covenant, that chest, it was just a chest, just a chest box. Inside that were three things. There was the pot of manna, the ten laws or the two tables of the Ten Commandments, and the almond rod, Aaron's rod, that was placed inside. That could well represent the three offices of our Lord Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. His, the pot of manna, would represent the one who was the bread of life, the prophet of his people, the Ten Commandments, that he is the king who rules by law, and that the rod of the Ammon rod that blossomed Aaron's rod, that that is the priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus. The most remarkable thing about this Ark of the Covenant was the lid, the mercy seat, the lid. That's all it was, a lid also made of shittim wood, but overlaid with gold. And some perceive that the um, worksmith, the goldsmith, would have to take that gold, lay it upon the table, and then create from the same beaten work two cherubim, two angels, facing inward, looking downward upon the lid, upon that mercy seat. And so once per year, Aaron the high priest entered through the veil as the representative of all Israel to apply the blood upon the mercy seat and to make atonement. This was Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Now this brings to light three things. I'm thinking sermon now. Three great truths in this 
meeting with God at the Ark of the Covenant in this Day of Atonement. Firstly, the nearness or the presence of God is here. I want you to look at verse 22 of our Bible reading today, and I want you to see God's, God's application, God's word of execution. And he says to Moses, And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat and between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee. This is the very presence of God, that one who dwelt in the cloud of glory, and that cloud descended down into this tabernacle, into the holy place, and that cloud came to rest on the Ark of the Covenant in between the two cherubim. You can read of this in Leviticus 16. And that very cloud rested on the Ark of the Covenant, this chest with a lid, the mercy seat, and these two angels looking downward upon it. There was God come to dwell in the very midst. And so this speaks of the very nearness of God. It is Emmanuel, God with us. And of course, this is the gospel, God coming to dwell with men. Our Lord Jesus is Emmanuel. He is depicted here. He is with his people he is the one who came to the Mount Transfiguration, and those disciples, they saw his glory shine through his flesh, because the Lord Jesus is God in the flesh. And he came to tabernacle with men. And so this is the very nearness of God. Now, the history of Israel, of course, is one of God in the midst of his people. That pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, ever from they crossed the Red Sea right until Solomon's day, whenever they entered into the, the, the stone temple, that pillar and cloud was with his people right in the very midst. And above this Ark of the Covenant, God dwelt right in the midst. There were times when this Ark of the Covenant led the people as in the day of Joshua when they crossed the River Jordan and all the priests were to line up behind the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant was to go in front of them and it led the way. That's what the Lord is doing with his people. That's why we need Christ with us. He is our shepherd to guide and to lead us the way. There are times when this Ark of the Covenant gave victory to his people in battle. Whenever they sensed defeat, they brought out the Ark of the Covenant, and they besought God in the midst of their battles, and it scattered their enemies. And there was one time when that Ark of the Covenant was taken from them, and the Philistines took it. Do you remember in the days of Samuel and Eli? 
And when the news came that the ark had been captured, Eli fell from his chair, and a grandchild was born called Ichabod. The glory had departed. We have to be aware that there are times when God writes Ichabod and he departs. This Ark of the Covenant speaks of the nearness, the presence of God in the very midst of his people. Now the Lord Jesus, who is depicted in this Ark of the Covenant, is in the midst of his church. And we're told in Revelation 1 that he walks in the midst of the candlestick, right in the midst. And he says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's the church. That's the redeemed. That's the people of God. And it's only a church when Christ is in the midst of them. He said, all power is given unto me. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, and lo, I am with you always. That's, that's the command to the New Testament church. And to you and me today, as we meet together as the church of the Lord Jesus, this is something we must seek. And just as Israel needed that Ark of the Covenant in the midst to have the power and blessing of God, we seek the presence of our Lord Jesus in the midst. I wonder, did you pray for that this week? I wonder through the days of this week since last Lord's Day, did you pray, Lord, as we go up to meet with you in your house, Lord, we want your presence. We want your presence. You see, this is not to be a man show. This is not for entertainment. This is not just even for a club-like friendship fellowship. The church is Christ in the midst. It's God coming to meet with men and men going up to meet with their God. That's what this is about. And if two of you agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father in heaven. Agreement in prayer. The church on their knees, praying, pleading, seeking. There is the unity. There is the blessedness of the church with Christ in the midst. The presence, the nearness of God. Do you experience that? You see, it's possible for you to come to church week after week after week, and I invite you and exhort you to come as often as you can, twice on the Lord's Day if you can, but what's it about? It's not just to meet with men. It's to meet with God. It's to meet with your Savior. It's that you might know the blessedness of the Lord in the very midst. That's the mercy seat. The second great truth that is conveyed in this whole scene of the inner holy place, the holy of holies, this ark of the covenant, this Shekinah glory, is the holiness of God. The holiness of God. I don't think that you could possibly miss this fact. Anyone who would, in a cursory fashion, read through these items and these details of the Old Testament believers' worship, the priestly function of going into the presence of God, they have to face the reality, God is holy. God is holy. Now, it's seen in so many ways. This tabernacle, there is the outer courtyard with that white fence separating the wilderness, the world, from the holy sanctuary. And then there is the gate that opens up, and there is this holy place. Ten by ten, that's the dimensions of it, it is a cube. Ten wide, ten deep, ten high. 
gold walls. This depicts heaven. This is the holy place. And then there is the veil separating from the holy of holies, from the center court where the average priest went in and uh, offered the incense, lit the lamp, addressed the needs of the showbread table. There was this veil hanging, a thick veil, and they dare not go in there lest they die. And when God gave that instruction in Leviticus 16, it was after his own two sons, Nadab and Abihu, had been smitten by death for offering strange fire. This is a holy place. And this is something that must grip our hearts. God is a holy God, and he must be approached in holiness. The high priest was to prepare himself. He cast off his regular clothes. He put on the linen breeches, as it's called. He then put on his high priestly garment, and he wore the mitre on his head with the words, Holiness to the Lord. He did not go in his own clothes. He did not go in his own standing. He took the, the incense, and he brought that cloud of incense to meet with the cloud of God through the veil. And then he brought with him the blood, the blood that must be brought in. My friend, here is something for all of us to digest, and I don't think we have. I just don't think we have. God is holy. But in this system, he's approachable. But he's holy. We're to come to grips with this great fact, the majestic transcendence of the very glory of our God. And as heaven Above is higher than the earth, so high is the Lord our God. Has this sunk in? Do you realize this? And he's to be worshipped in holiness. Now, there's one more thing that reminds us of the strict holiness of God, and that is that inside this ark of the, of the uh, covenant was the ten laws, the two tables, the two stones that were given to Moses, on which were written the ten laws, how to worship God. And on those tables was written the Ten Commandments that God deals with man on the basis of law. Now get this. God does not deal with your soul on the basis of creation. God does not deal with you on the basis of universal fatherhood. He is not the father of all men in this world. The Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees and the scribes, they were religious creatures, and he said to them, you're of your father the devil. Now, is God your father? Well, there's the matter of the law. And God's relationship with man is based on law. And that brings us to guilt, to sin, to condemnation. And just as those cherubim sat there in judgment, looking down on the mercy seat, you have to bring your life and you have to put all your deeds and all your thoughts under the very light. Oh, that Shekinah glory light of the Lord. I have in my study at home a depiction of the items of the Ark of the Covenant. They're done by Stephen Lee, the operator of Sermon Audio. He gave me this beautifully framed 
graphic depiction. He did it all on computer and put all the colors in. And he has this brilliant light sitting right on the Ark of the Covenant. And if you study that, and it's only a picture. It's almost blinding. Let me tell you, that's the light that will judge you on your sin. That's how you'll be judged, on law. Have you kept the Ten Commandments? Or are they broken in your life? If they're broken, and they are, can you say you're rightly related to God? No. Because God is holy and you're sinful. And there is now this great gulf between a holy God and a sinful man or woman. And there has to be some way of reconciliation before you're right with God. Now, if I was to end here, I would send you home today in hopelessness. But the wonderful good news of all this is that this is the mercy seat. Let's not miss this. The, the, the most blessed, sweet, wonderful news is that while God is holy and God deals in men with men in law and we are guilty and unworthy to stand before God, that this is the way of mercy. We must not forget the lid. The lid, which simply means covering, and it literally did cover over the contents of the, the chest. The law is covered, settled, silenced. And God now has found a way to deal in mercy. Now, this is where we have to think of the word atonement. The lid, the covering, is the atonement. Kafar in Hebrew. Atonement means to cover over. And when the high priest went in there once per year with the blood of the bull and of the lamb, he sprinkled that mercy seat seven times. You can read this in Leviticus 16. That's the Day of Atonement account. Seven times he sprinkled this mercy seat. And those cherubims, those angels looking down, those in judgment, they looked down. But they're representative of the invisible God. No one has seen God. But the glory of God that appeared rested there. And when God sees the blood, he's satisfied. Atonement is made, covering over sin. And there is peace, reconciliation, at one meant between God and his people. My friend, you need to be under the blood. You need to confess your guilt. You need to confess that you've broken the law. And you need to come and say, that blood, I must have the covering of that blood. It's the only thing that will silence the God of heaven. And of course, all of this points to the cross of Christ. At the cross, all of this was taking place. At the cross, you have a holy God punishing his son. And the Son making atonement that His blood would become the covering for the sins of His people for whom He died. And when in the New Testament they were taking this idea of atonement and covering of the lid of the mercy seat, what way did they translate it? Well, to the Greeks... They took a word that was commonly used in the Greek world. A word that was used to appease the heathen gods. 
You see, in the Greek ungodly world, they thought that gods were angry. They were moody and cranky. And if things were going wrong, God was upset with you, so you would appease God. You would bring to God an offering. And many brought sometimes their children. And they would offer their babies on the altar of sacrifice to their heathen God to turn away their anger. That was their idea of worshiping an angry God. It's not all that many years since you may have heard of people throwing their children into the Ganges, whom they thought was an offering to the gods that it may go well with them in their lives the whole idea of appeasing an angry God. Now, when the Paul the Apostle and John the Apostle took this truth of covering over, atonement, mercy seat, he used the same Greek word of appeasing the angry gods, hilasterion, and put it into the New Testament. And in the English, it is the word propitiation, propitiation. Our Lord Jesus on that cross died as a propitiatory sacrifice to turn away the wrath of a holy God against sinful men. Now, do not lump the God of the Scriptures, the God of the Gospel, that he's just like the other heathen gods who gets upset, cranky, and moody, and, uh, and therefore angry. No, God is a righteous God, and he is angry with sin righteously. There's a good reason that he's angry, a good reason that he's a God of fury against sin, because he's holy, and he is a righteous God, and he righteously judges men and judges their sin. And this is the gospel. God made atonement. There's a mercy seat. There is a turning away of the wrath of God. And we are saved. What a wonderful gospel we have in the grace of the Lord Jesus that he, through his death, made atonement for us. We can therefore be saved from the depths of sin and be made right with God. If I can be of any personal help in your desire to know and find the Lord as your Savior, I trust that you will be in touch. We'll give you all the information now at the close of the program, and I trust you will email, write, phone, and even come along to our church. And if I can be of any personal help in your search to know the Lord, I'd also love to send you the little booklet called A New Beginning, this is free of charge for all who request it, and I trust that the Lord will draw near to you and write this gospel message upon your heart that you may run to the blood of Jesus and be wonderfully saved from sin. That's the power of the gospel, and that power can be yours today by simple faith in the Lord Jesus. Now stay tuned with us for these closing announcements. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 187 Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. On our website you can find gospel articles, 
links to our sermons and our gospel booklet called A New Beginning. There you can find a link to our Sunday services that are broadcast online. For all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of his precious word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer at 7.30pm every Wednesday evening. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day from September to June at 9.30am. You can contact us using our office number which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will lead you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. And this is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. on this station for our full or church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word.